So when are you having kids? <laughs> no, we're not starting <laughs> with that. No, I bring that up because I have a story. Same happened to me at work. Oh, God. So I had these kids come in with their mom. And, you know, when kids are there, like I have some Halloween candy like near my desk for people to get because I like to go all out. Yeah. And, you know, I encourage the kids to get some candy and things like that. And, you know, the kids are just there standing around while the mom does, you know, stuff, stuff, work stuff. And so, you know, you start a conversation with the kid and you just go. And I decided to go the dad joke route, which I later regretted. And I just go, what grade you in? And she goes, third. And I was like, ah, best three years of my life. Right? Something simple. Yeah. When I tell you the death stare, (laughs) this eight-year-old, I don't know how old she is, this eight-year-old gave me, it scared me almost to my core. (laughs) And then I looked at her, I'm like, that was my dad's joke. Like, I felt so bad. (laughs) She thought you were really stupid. Yeah, like... I'm telling you, whatever generation this is, Generation Alpha, I'm going to tell you right now. They're scary. Word of advice. They're not fucking around. They're scary. Yeah. So anyway, that's my, that's the only story I have. Uh, kids are scary. Yeah. In case you didn't know. Happy Halloween. Happy, ho- happy <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> I'm going to go dressed up as a, ki- a very scary kid. This comes out on the 29th, so that's appropriate. Yeah. I'm Bethann. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haul you, let me turn down the thermostat. <laughs> this is bad. We're on page one, guys. This is She Will Rock You. We have no business to discuss. We discussed it all. Uh, we could read a review. It's been a while since we've oh, read Oh, yeah, review. we probably should. Let me pull up a review. Is it my turn to read it? Or? Yeah. Okay. This is from Well Disguised. Shout out to the guys at Well Disguised. And it says, they nail it. These ladies are informative, sure, but also just a lot of fun to listen to. Thoroughly enjoyed the Aerosmith episode. Rock Thank on. you. Thank you, Well Disguised. I also enjoyed the Aerosmith episode. That was a good one. I still think about that raccoon <laughs> he got through the mail. That's my, that's my dream. I want a rat pet raccoon. I don't know how my cats would like that, but... I think I would want a pet fox. They're pretty cool. They're like a cross between a cat and a dog. I follow a like wildlife rehabilitator who has a fox and a raccoon right oh, now. That's, so they, what you're saying is I'll have a fox, you have a raccoon, they have playdates. Yes. 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 And we're not here to talk about raccoons as much as I would love to. Shh. Um, Can we just start a podcast called She Will Raccoon You? No. Oh. <laughs> we all, we have one to maintain that's enough <laughs> uh, we'll pitch it to quite the thing media now <laughs> take our rock history and you do raccoon history raccoon raccoon history yeah eh, it's, it's a work in progress well we'll pitch it later this is not how i wanted to introduce my topic so oh, sorry <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be not a segue but um to quote my lord and savior luke spiller are you ready for some Akadeka? 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 So, yes, that is at what was formerly my number one stretch show until this last round that I went on. Um, they did an impromptu Highway to Hell cover, and I got the very, like, I just happened to hit record right as he was saying that. And every time I hear ACDC now, I hear him going, Akadeka? So. Am I missing something? We're going to get there. Okay. We're actually going to talk about why that they call it that. Okay. Um, so this is ACDC. If you have not figured that out by the title of this episode, uh, what's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and this requires a very heavy trigger warning of, um, this is the most death we've ever had in an episode. So brace yourself. Um, also this is a wild fucking ride. Like at no point in this episode, are you going to know what's happening next? (sighs) I went down I so... Gotta, I got to adjust my blanket. Yeah, adjust the tortilla. Yeah, adjust the tortilla blanket. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, at no point, you're going to know what's happening next. I went down so many rabbit holes. Okay. Because this is a fu- wild fucking story. So we begin with Angus and Malcolm Young, the brothers that are the heart of this band. And their father is William Young, and they live in the Cranehill District of Glasgow, Scotland. 
William, dad, he first worked as a wheel boy. Don't fucking know what that a is. A wheel boy? Wheel boy. Wheel boy. In a rope house. Okay. And then he worked as a machine and saw operator in an asbestos business. Ooh. No bueno. Yeah. Um, but in 1940, he joins the Royal Air Force. He serves in World War II as a flight engine mechanic. He's really good at fixing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the war, he works as a yard man for a builder and then does some time as a postman. He marries Margaret. She's a housewife. And they have a bunch of fucking kids. Um, fast forwarding. So they have eight children. When I say they have a bunch of fucking kids, mm-hmm. they have a bunch of fucking kids. In 1963, Malcolm is 10 and Angus is eight. And they get packed up and moved from Scotland to Australia. Ooh, quite the move. Because there was apparently a big freeze in 1963 mm-hmm. that was one of the worst records, worst winters on record in Scotland. Snow was eight feet deep. Ooh. Eight feet deep. That is Ooh. three feet taller than I am tall. Yeah. Um, and dad, William, saw a TV ad that showed Australia and let like a travel incentive someone someone uh someone got a raise for that from that campaign yes it was some kind of travel incentive that like offered scottish families assisted travel to move to australia to start a new life and they were like fuck this snow we're moving to australia yeah and so the young family packs up 15 members of their family so like i'm guessing some grandparents yeah they only have 10 in yeah. the household. I'm guessing some aunts, uncles, grandparents, two, two. Yeah, two grandparents each. Yeah. yeah. So 15 members of this family pack up and move to Scotland. Or start move out of Scotland to Australia. Malcolm and Angus are the youngest of the eight children. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, they have no money because they have eight children. Yeah. And do, dad's working like as a construction foreman. Um, but they grew up in a household surrounded by music. Everyone played an instrument. They're jamming all the time. Like they basically shove a guitar in your hands when you're born and they're like, go. Yeah. Um, and they have, they felt that's two specifically the younger boys, Malcolm and Angus fell in love with classic rock hits and went especially crazy when older brother George joined a band called the easy beats, which actually took off in Australia. Like oh. they had a semi successful run in the U S too. Like they had one big hit, huh. but they, idolized George and the easy beats. Yeah. Like, which we don't see a lot of in our, our history stories, telling. Yeah. It's like you're, you're idolizing Elvis or the Stones. Right. They're idolizing big brother George, Aww. which warms my heart. So they both quit school. They joined separate bands. And then they said, do you want to form an alliance, an alliance with, me? with me? Yes. Yes. Um, so they join forces and go in the same band. Love it. When they tell their parents that they're in the same band, their parents were like, we give it a week before you guys break up. <laughs> because being so close in age, being boys, yeah. being the youngest siblings, they Fights. fought all the fucking time. Um, and so they did not break up after a week, shockingly, to the, the surprise of their family. And they're like, guess we got to give this band a name. And so the name, it comes from their sister. Margaret. She saw the initials ACDC on a sewing machine in their house. And if you are not American, you know that the ACDC plug is an abbreviation, which means alternating current, direct current electricity. It's for different electricities. Um, But the boys saw it and they were like, that's going to be our band name because that symbolizes raw energy. And they wanted to have this like crazy hyper high energy band um side note did you hear in school from other kids that it was from a vacuum cleaner because i always heard it was from a vacuum cleaner the name yes i haven't heard a damn thing about it i swear that was like the one of the things that you know, like kids tell each other in elementary school yeah everyone was like it came from a vacuum cleaner and it's always stuck in my head as vacuum cleaner but it was a sewing machine huh uh margaret is really the unsung hero of this band because not only did she name the band, she's also responsible for Angus's iconic schoolboy outfit. No. Um, so when they start the band, he's only 18. Yeah. And she told him he looked really young. She told him he still looked like a schoolboy and he should wear a schoolboy outfit on stage. And she kind of said it as a joke, but it stuck. And I mean, he's still doing it now. Yeah. So like it stuck um, before they settled on schoolboy, though. 
He tried other costumes on stage. Oh my god, yes. Including Spider-Man. <laughs> Zorro. What? A gorilla. A knockoff parody version of Superman, which they named Super Ang. Super Ang. And that's it. I really wish the Spider-Man one stuck. <laughs> Me too. God, I'd love that. But I could see Marvel having a field day with that. Yeah. And suing them. So um, Tons of legal fees. Yeah. Uh, and so there, I don't know who else is in the band at this point, but mm-hmm. in November 1973, they meet up with the bassist Larry Van Crete, who's going to be in the band, vocalist Dave Evans, who is at the time the lead vocalist. He does not hang around very long. The management of the band hates him. They, the band themselves don't love him. Yeah. Um, he's pretty much around for five seconds because, oh, and then there's a drummer, Colin Burgess. So not even a year later, they yeah. fire Dave Evans because no one likes him. They're just not vibing with him. And they hire he's Bond. He's not the right match. He's not. He's really, really not. So they, they fire Chris. Chris? Dave. See, I don't remember his name. <laughs> he's really not important to the story. And they hire Bon Scott. As their frontman. That's a good name. Yes. His full name, Ronald Bond Scott. His mom in the VH1 documentary calls him Ronald, and it's the cutest thing. Um, Conveniently, he's also another Scottish immigrant raised in Australia. So that marketing campaign really must have worked. Had some good reach. Because there's a lot of them. Bond dreamed of being a singer his entire life. And when he joins this band, they bond like brothers almost immediately. Like mm-hmm. he's he's the third young brother in this band. But Bon is a wild child. And I mean that to the fullest extent. Um by nineteen seventy four, when he's joining the band at like I think he's like twenty, eighteen, twenty at this time, he's already served jail time for assaulting a cop. Oof. He's missing several teeth from getting in fights. Oof. And he had just almost died the week before in a motorcycle wreck. Holy shit. This dude's like an Aussie. Yeah, but I think he's not an Aussie. An Aussie. He's an Aussie Aussie. He's an Aussie Aussie. Um, So, yeah, they're a little scared of him, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, no shit. Uh, He had joined some local bands before ACDC, but they were too boring for his taste. (laughs) And so when he met the guys at ACDC, he was like, fuck yeah. You guys are cool. The power. raw energy. The raw energy. <laughs> Unlimited power. <laughs> um, the VH1 documentary describes him as a pint-sized wild man with an outstanding voice. And he's the embodiment of the band's power and passion. Um, like I said, he's crazy. His mm-hmm. very first gig with the band. Like, very first live performance. He drinks an entire bottle of bourbon on stage. Not a good plan. Then does some drugs. Also not a... On stage? On stage. On stage. What, what were we talking about here? The H1 just said some drugs. They okay. interviewed Malcolm and Malcolm just I mean, said, I could see like a Snoop Dogg move and just smoking a blunt. I don't think it was just that. Oh, he's shooting. Okay. I'm going to guess it was cocaine. If I had oh, to guess. All right. It was cocaine. Not really recommended. Um, And the band was like, bro, the fuck? But he put on a hell of a show and they're like, all right. Okay. We'll allow it. Yeah. They're not going to stop him. Um, Plot twist. This doesn't end well for Bond. I kind of figured. As you can imagine. If you if you don't know, I'm not. I, I will ruin it eventually, but I'm not going to get there yet. Um, So that is in. He joins in September. In October of 1974, they record their first studio album, High Voltage, which if you've heard the American release, it's, it's not quite the same. This was an Australian-only release because yeah. they have, like, no fucking money. They recorded the entire album in 10 days, uh, which was possible because uh, the Young Brothers had already written a lot of the instrumental parts, and Bon Scott just wrote lyrics to go on top of it. Yeah. And this did really well. It, it, it I mean, it wasn't, like charting internationally but it got them enough popularity they did a little tour on around the club scene in australia and then they were like eh, let's let's play the band lineup a little bit more and so they fire their current drummer add new drummer paul rudd to the band um and he fits in pretty good because he's just as crazy as the rest of them so you've just yeah. got these five fucking insane it's as guys. if they're looking for people that match their level yes. of like intensity. You need to be at a hundred all the Which time. Which 
if I can take a guess, is not going to end well because in these situations, it's the Motley crew, right? You need the dude who plays bass as a grumpy face. Uh, you need Mick. You need Mick. Mick you need Mars. A, you need a you need a grounder. You need a Mick Mars to bring you down. Yeah. And it sounds like they're not going to have that. No, they do not. Which is why I'm predicting they're going to get into some trouble. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so that spring, they get their first top 10 hit in Australia, which is a cover of Baby, Please Don't Go. But this gets them an appearance on Australian TV where Bond dresses in drag, Ooh. which was unheard of at the time because this is 1973. Oh, yeah, because uh, Freddie hasn't done it yet. Yes. And because this is Australia, not America... People don't lose their shit over it. <laughs> Looking at you, people who boycotted <laughs> Queen. It actually plays to their advantage and adds to their bad boy image. I love that. So good for them. And in like that one TV appearance, they pretty much went over the entire youth of Australia. Yeah. Like they blow up overnight. Uh, side point that is relevant at this point. They start getting identified with the punk rock movement. Which is not a hundred percent accurate. So it's mainly the British press at the time who's like new punk rock artist, ACDC. Yeah. Uh, and Angus did not like this. Um, they're 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 really that's I wouldn't put him in that. Yeah, category they didn't want to be. They they thought that punk was going to be a passing fad, which it was. They were like, we are a rock and roll band. Get us, leave us out of this label. Um, their manager started to tell like the press like it wasn't even possible to hold a conversation with them about punk without them getting totally pissed off and like yeah. angus would just walk off if they started asking them about the punk scene which i think is hilarious <laughs> so in 1976 they get a record deal with atlantic records to release their music internationally mm-hmm. and as we know from the abba episode this is your ticket to making it big yes you get the international distribution get it into the americas you can you can take over the world um Ironically, this made them do really well in the punk scene of England. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's because they it's the raw energy. It is. It is. It attracts the punks. It's also because around this time, Angus starts to gain attention for mooning the audience during their life. Uh, that will do it. Hundred punks. They love some mooning. Yes. England loves some mooning. Um and they just continue to grow the reputation as the bad boys of rock and roll, which, I mean, this is the 1970s. There's like 700 bad boys of rock and roll, but they're up there. Yeah. They're doing bad shit. They released their third studio album, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, around this time in 1976. And for the first time ever, they're able to release an Australian version and an international version at the same time. And at this point, they're they're done in Australia. Mm-hmm. Like They've moved they've, on. They've done what they can do. And so they move on to Great Britain, where they play the, the legendary Marquee Club mm-hmm. and immediately broke the venue's all-time house attendance record. Nice. So they did not play in clubs in England for very long. So when they get to England, this is when that iconic ACDC logo, the lightning bolt, is born. Um, they say that it's separated by Zeus's own lightning bolt. Cute. Which is a little cheesy, but I'll give it to them. Um, and by the time that they finish up this small club run in England, they are ready to take on American stadium shows. They just jump right in. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're already breaking the marquee, you might as well. But first, they got to take a trip back to Britain for a little tourist Black Sabbath. Oh. Uh, so Bon Scott and Ozzy Osbourne. Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> as you can imagine, Uh-oh. they became really good friends. They're very similar. The um, Aussie and the Aussie Aussie have met. Yes, but they're the only two that get along in the whole band. Yeah, everyone else is like at each other's throats. Um, Geezer Butler actually pulled a knife on Malcolm Young. Oh, which he tried to play off as was like a silly stage prop knife, and it wasn't a real knife. But um, yeah, Malcolm always said that it was a real knife. And no one's ever been able to prove that it was a fake knife. So tensions are high. That tour did not last very long, thankfully. So after that, that small tour with Black Sabbath, they come back to America. They are playing. They're still playing clubs, but they're like playing the big clubs like the CBGB and the whiskey. 
um, but also playing the Jacksonville Coliseum. Wow. So like they're they're huge, very 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 quickly over here. Which you know what? This might be the first time a band has ever like been hot in America on this show, straight off the bat. Like normally yeah. they gotta slog Usually a little take bit, some time. But no, everyone loved ACDC. In 1977, they released their next album, which was produced by their older brother, George, which I think is the cutest thing. It's called Let There Be Rock. Um, And if they weren't already huge in the U.S., this is what this is what put them there. This made them a household name. They it charted around the world and it's it's one of their iconic albums. And towards the end of 1977, they changed their lineup yet again and dismissed their bassist, Mark Evans. Basically, he got in a fight with Angus and Malcolm, and Angus and Malcolm were like, bye-bye. Yeah. We can replace you. And he's replaced with Cliff Williams on bass. The next major breakthrough in their career came on their next album, Highway to Hell. Sure you heard of it. The quintessential ACDC album. I don't think it is, actually, and we'll get to that. Really? There's one more that I think is more more important, but um, Highway to Hell... This Highway to Hell was released in 1979. They got paired with producer Mutt Lang on this, who he's, you know, very well-known, very high-rated producer. Yeah. And the record label hated this title from the very beginning. Like, really? It's called Highway to Hell. Quintus it's 1979. though. Um, so, as you can imagine, because 1979, when this record hit stores... Rumors were started that the band were devil worshippers. There it is. Which ACDC, Antichrist. Yes. Uh, the Devil Christ. We'll, we'll get there. There's a, there's a legit acronym that people okay. put with it. Um, I, which let's be honest, this would not be a spooky season episode if we didn't talk about devil worship about once. Uh, you or, know, I thought I was gonna have that in my episode, and I have some, unfortunately did not. Here we are. Don't worry. So AC- thank you for thank you for making it up for us. ACDC's got you covered. <laughs> um, but this album meant a lot to the band. So they, they really fought for it to, to happen. Um, because at this point, they've been touring for six years straight. And this album kind of summed up what it was like on the road for them. The, mm-hmm. You know, the nights of highway, of um, high energy, Bond's antics, all of that. And the lyrics get kind of, I don't want to call them deep because ACDC doesn't have the deepest music in the world. Let's yeah. be honest. But they, Highway to Hell has lyrics that shifted away from the flippant and comical of their previous albums. Yeah. Towards more of the central rock themes that you think. Loud, simple, pounding riffs, grooving music. Like, they're just here to party. Yeah. Um, But this album does a little too well. And so what happens? The classic record label puts pressure on them to release a follow-up album that does just yeah. as well. And so they have to return to London in January of 1980 to record a follow-up album. It never ends well. It does not. Like, this really does not end well. So they're in London in January, and the the brothers are in the studio writing, and they invite Bond to listen to some stuff. And he showed up, and they noticed how good he looked, because he finally had money. He got all his teeth put back in that he had knocked out in those fights when they first met him. Um, He looked really happy. And... They like they're just jamming. They're playing with stuff. They agree that all this stuff that the boys are writing sounds really good, um, and they made plans for Bond to come back to the studio the next week and start laying down vocals. I think things got pushed because the dates don't quite line up with them being there in January and this happening on February nineteenth. Mm-hmm. But he had not laid down any vocals when this happened, um, and on the nineteenth of February nineteen eighty, Bond Scott reportedly passed out in a car on the way back to an apartment with his acquaintance, Alistair Kinnear. They were out drinking and partying in Camden. Um, Mm -hmm. His friend, when they got back to his apartment, noticed that he was having trouble getting Bond out of the back of the car. So he left him in the car overnight to sleep it off. Jeez. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. Yeah. Do not leave your drunk friend in the car. No. Because this is what happens. Um, He went back down the next morning, tried to wake him. He wouldn't wake up. Um, He calls an ambulance. They rush him to King's College Hospital where he's pronounced dead on arrival. Basically what happened is he was so drunk and his alcohol level was so high that he threw up and aspirated to death. Yeah. Um, 
He was only 33 years old and he'd only been in the band for five years. Jeez. And I mean, it's really, it's really fucking sad. It is. That's like, and that has happened to so many rock people. That exact scenario, maybe not in the car, but like vomiting and then asphyxiation. Yes. It happens a lot. So don't leave people unattended when they're drunk. Yes. Get your friends help. Um, and because the British media, honestly, I think I've learned from this podcast, British media is worse than American media, which says something because this happened in Britain. It was sensationalized by the British press. It became a running joke, like to the point where they were poking fun of Bon Scott. No. Um, and to this day, like the band hates British media because they've never forgiven them for how yeah. it no, was. You handled. never make fun of someone's death. No, it was. If you watch the doc, the VH1 documentary, like the headlines were very, very, very nasty. Oh. Um, needless to say, that next follow up album that they were being pressured to make got put on pause because the band is distraught. This is their brother, like the third sibling that the young brothers had in the band. Um, and they, they kind of toyed with not making music anymore. They were like, it's just, it's not the same. What are we going to do? Um, but his parents, Scott Bond, Scott's parents were really encouraging and went to the band and they were like, you know, he would have wanted you to continue doing this. Like you guys have worked so hard. You're hella famous right now. Like you can't quit at the top of your game. Like he would have wanted you to go on. And so they were like, okay, we have his parents blessing. Like, this is going to be weird, but let's do it. So they start auditioning a new lead singer. And guess who shows up to the auditions? Who? Slade vocalist Naughty Holder. No. We almost had a timeline. Dude. Where Naughty Holder was the lead vocalist. What a multiverse that is. I need that what if episode. <laughs> um, He did not win the spot, obviously. The, the, the title goes to Brian Johnson who actually had been a bit of a fanboy of the band himself, which is super cute. Yeah. He saw ACDC on a show called Rock Goes to College, which was kind of like a live stream type cute. thing. Okay. Of ACDC playing a college um, somewhere in, I guess, the US, UK. I guess. I don't even know. I think Brian's British. I should know this. That's embarrassing. Um, And when they auditioned Brian, they were like, I don't know. We'll see what this guy has. We're still not sold on this whole like bringing the band back thing. But then Brian came into the audition and it was just like a natural fit. And he was mm-hmm. the first one that they had auditioned that could match Bond's energy yeah. without like pretending to be him. Right. Uh, fun fact about Brian. Little Richard is his biggest vocal inspiration. Oh, I love that. Which I love. So they hire him and they've pretty much got the album written. So they just go to work on it um but they had a lot of reservations going into making this album because they knew they were gonna have to tour it Mm -hmm. and they weren't sure how touring with a new lead singer was gonna go yeah and how it would go over with fans um but spoiler fans loved it i feel like they if they were true fans of the band they had to be understanding yeah like you can't it's not like he left on bad graces yeah passed away it was a freak accident like it just happened yeah um so the album that they go back to work on ends up becoming back in black oh that's right i forgot about back in black which is the quintessential i agree with that i completely forgot yes. about it i, I kind of forget about it because i always think of highway to hell yeah um but back in black which is not only the quintessential acdc album but is also one of the best-selling albums of all time mm-hmm. which we'll talk about so, Back in Black was recorded from mid-April to May 1980 at Compass Point in the Bahamas, which is Ooh, a very strange place very to record fun. an album, um, and produced by Mutt Lang. And I'm just going to read you this quote from Brian Johnson about the recording process. It was hardly any kind of studio. We were in these little concrete cells, comfy, mind you. You had a bed <laughs> and a chair, and this big old black lady ran the whole place. Oh, and she was fearsome she ruined ruled that place with a rod of iron we had to lock the doors down at night because she'd warn us about these haitians who'd come at night and rob the place so she brought us all six foot fishing spears to keep by our fucking door <laughs> which um, i love that sounds like a high stress environment to record an album it does 
but also a fun time yeah it, it could go either way yeah um and brian had a lot of pressure on him because it's his first time recording an album could, could you imagine this is how it always is recording an album man you get a fishing spear yeah you go to the bahamas this is how it goes um also they kept getting interrupted by crabs coming into the studio <laughs> I love that interruption by crab. <laughs> they they had to throw crabs out several times that were just like they'd show up and just like be chilling on the floor and they're like, dude, we got to get rid of that. I don't know a song of Back to Black, so I'm gonna just sing a Highway to Hell. I'm in a Highway to Hell. Damn it! There's a crab in here. There's a crab in here. It's <laughs> exactly how it happened. Obvi- and also it was super fucking humid because it's the Bahamas, so that's not good for your sound equipment. Yeah, but not at all. And it also was really hard. I don't know. I don't really know why they did it in the Bahamas because they were working in London previously. Probably and they just had, wanted a break. They had to bring all the shit over there. Yeah. And they got held up in customs, which is why it took longer than it should have. Yeah. Um, It rained like pretty much every day, which is why one of the opening lines of Hell's Bells is, I'm rolling thunder, pouring rain. I'm coming on like a hurricane. My lightning's flashing around across the sky. You're only young, but you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I should have mentioned this entire album was written as a tribute to Bon Scott. Yeah. It opens with these very somber church bells on Hell's Bells. It talks a lot about like death. Yeah. But that was their way of processing Bon Scott's death. Sure. Um, and because they want it to be a tribute to him and they knew they wanted these bells on there. That was like the hardest part of the album to record was these Hell's Bells. The band manager at the time like got tasked with finding a foundry to specifically make the bells that they wanted to record, Hmm. but they were taking too long. Like seven weeks went by from the time they commissioned them to the time they were like, okay, we got to hurry this album along. And so they were like, we'll just go record some church bells nearby. But they couldn't do that because every time they would go to record the church bells, you would hear birds flying away and they didn't want that in the recording. So eventually they foundry got their shit together, gave them a bell. They recorded it in New York city mm-hmm. and it all was well. Good. Then the album was released and it sold 16 million copies. Wow. Which confused everyone because the band was like, this was kind of just like our personal like mourning process. Yeah. We're just trying to get through life. Glad you guys enjoy it though. Yeah. Hit top five on three continents, got them their first top 40 single. But this made a follow-up album even harder because they had two bangers back to back. Yeah, that's hard to follow up with. So instead of talking about their follow-up album, let's derail a bit to talk about true crime. Ooh. So I'm, I'm not like true crime obsessed in the way that some people are, but like I know. I enjoy a good true crime story once yes. in a while. So I have no idea how I fucking missed the fact that ACDC was connected to the Night Stalker. What? Yes. Yes. How? So here's the background for those of you unfamiliar with the case. So Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, spent a portion of 1984 and 1985 slipping into windows and through unlocked doors in California, which why the fuck did no one lock their house in the 80s? This is something I have asked so much literally that's why we Do don't you know how serial- much would be prevented if we locked our fucking doors that's why we don't have serial killers now because we lock our damn doors yeah anyway that's it that <laughs> we solved it just goes on god damn it another one millennials killing the serial killer industry <laughs> uh, anyway so he would slip in through these unlocked doors he would murder people um and he was dubbed the Night Stalker because no one could find this guy. Like, he he basically was like a ghost. Mm-hmm. He would slip into a house, kill somebody, and then slip out. Yeah. But then, on March 17th, 1985, he messes up. And he accidentally leaves behind an ACDC hat in this Ooh. garage. Um, That's going to have some DNA in it, isn't it? No, we're not quite there yet. The DNA testing. But... The police are able to start using this to build a profile. So they start questioning people if they knew anyone who wore ACDC merchandise, um, which starts to profile people who wear ACDC merchandise as like Satan worshippers and murderers. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, It actually is one of the clues that led to Richard Ramirez being identified 
because his childhood friend said that he was a huge fan of ACDC and probably had a hat. So that's how they found Jeez. him. Or I don't think it's the exact. You know, it just takes one serial killer and then all of a sudden all rock music's yep. satanic. Yep. Way to go, dude. Um, so Richard Ramirez gets sentenced to death row in California, connected to 13 killings. Hmm. But this does some damage to the band's reputation, which That's is... That's not fair. No, it is not. It's really shitty. They had nothing to do with this. I'm starting a rumor. Ted Bundy liked... Uh, what's a band I don't like? Limp Bizkit. Limp Bizkit. <laughs> Ted Bundy... Did you know that Ted Bundy likes Limp Yes, Bizkit? he does. Whenever he wrote the song uh, with the chainsaw, Ted Bundy. So Ted Bundy. It, it, it's what started it for him. Uh... <laughs> And this, as you will see, this is not the first hit on the reputation or not the last hit. It is the first hit. Yeah. Um, and when the band finds out that like, this is how they kind of solved the case. They're like, I thought it was a joke at first. Like, this is crazy. Why are we connected to this? We had nothing to do with this. Yeah. Um, and then it comes out that Richard Ramirez is a Satanist. Come on. So that doesn't help things. Come on. That's not fair. And then he starts telling people. That he was inspired by the ACDC song Night Prowler from Highway to Hell, which is hilarious because the song is not about murder. It's about sneaking out to go sleep, go hang out in your girlfriend's bedroom. Yeah. So like somebody needed to learn context. Yes. So he just wanted to blame somebody for his murders. Yeah. It hurts the band because they That's not you know, the parents see it on the news and they're like, This devil music is making this man go murder. You're not allowed to listen to this. Yeah. So things get worse. Don't worry. Rumors start to circulate that A C D C were devil worshippers because I mean they do have songs like Highway to Hell and Hell's Bells. Yeah. Um, and then people started to say that A C D C stood for Antichrist Devil's Children. Ah. Devil's Child. Which horrified the band. They're like, the name's from an electric current. We don't know why you're doing this to us. Yeah. Gosh. I hate the satanic panic time. Yeah. It gets so, so much. Because it, it was so much damage was done to people's lives for no fucking reason other than people were scared. No fucking reason. It was Salem Witch Trials 2.0. Yes. And things do get really bad for the band. Um, so in the book, ACDC Uncensored on the Record... They they talk about how some hotel chains refuse to house them. Gosh. Um, similar boycotts and calls for cancellation threaten their tour dates. Um, the only show that the band canceled was in Costa Mesa in California because local radio stations around the city of Costa Mesa were pressured not to play music from the band. So like it just things were not going good for them in California. Yeah. And a bunch of record stores across the country would put up notices telling customers not to buy ACDC's new album, which is shitty because you're stocking the album. Yeah. But whatever. Or they wouldn't stock the album and sent all the copies of Highway to Hell back. Jeez. But don't worry. Things get worse. How can it get worse than that? Because enter the Filthy 15. Okay. Which we've not talked about on the show, but I did a TikTok about once on our TikTok. Um, okay. But I have more than 60 seconds here, so we're going to go into it. So in 1885, a great time in America. 1885. Why the fuck does it say 1885? 1985, 1985. A great time in America, you know. We're really concerned about mo- our religious morality as a country. You um, said it, not me. So someone, a, a bunch of senators and their wives, including Tipper Gore, mm-hmm. make a committee. Known as the Parents Music Resource Center. Tipper Gore is a deadhead, along with Al Gore. Well, just to let you know. She's living a double standard over here because you're about to hear what she did. It is because of them that we now have ratings that explicit content warning on things. But they're tasked with making a playlist of the most offensive music at the time, which, first of all, I think that's fucking hilarious. Dude, okay. Someone needs to make that Spotify playlist. Oh, uh, you can find it. I'm sure. Good, good. Um, so obviously Madonna and Prince make this list, but also Venom and Merciful Fate make this list. Mm-hmm. Um, they they call the list the Filthy Fifteen, and it was an example of how the Parents Music Resource Center thought that albums should be rated. They really wanted to do something similar to the Motion Picture Association, 
but they couldn't quite do PG and R and they couldn't follow the same rules. Yeah. Um, and so they come up with the ratings of X for profane and sexually explicit lyrics. O for occult references DA for lyrics about drugs and alcohol and V for violent content, which can you imagine if we had stuck with this rating system? Jeez. I, I don't understand. Um, but ultimately they were like, that's too many labels. We can't do that. So they just settled on parental advisory, explicit lyrics. Um, and this, this obviously riled up the musical community. Like it became such a talking point that they had a special congressional hearing in which I don't know, actually know if it's congressional, but they had a special chamber of commerce hearing on the contents of music and lyrics of records at which Frank Zappa, John Denver mm-hmm. and twisted sisters. D yeah, Snyder, D. Snyder spoke at that, which is first off quite, quite the crew that shows up to this. Yeah. Um, but they were, I mean, this is their livelihood and they yeah. were, they were worried that, if you put an explicit label content on an album, stores wouldn't carry it, which became true. I didn't know this, but Walmart didn't carry explicit music for a long time. Jeez. I mean, obviously it came back in our lifetime because yeah. I remember seeing them there. But yeah, I mean, if your album's not in Walmart, like that makes it, it really hard you. to it find. Put, it's basically putting a scarlet letter. Yeah. You know, and that's not fair to the artist. Like, No. It's not fair. No. So, like I said, they made the Filthy 15, which, of course, ACDC gets on to. Of course. Because they're, they're the hot ticket item at the time. Yeah, Prince's song was the one that started it all. Yes. Darling Nikki. Um, this ACDC gets on there for Let Me Put My Love Into You. As you can imagine. He, 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 he. It got there for its sexual references. Yeah. Um. When Angus Young was interviewed about this, because obviously they're like, let's talk about you being on the Filthy 15. Uh, Ang- this, the band didn't love it that they were on there. Their reputation's already taken a hit. And he said, people who want to strangle other people's rights are possessed by one of the worst devils around. The Satan in their soul, which is called intolerance. Ooh. Rock and roll is about one simple thing, freedom. And when someone Ooh. tries to murder that freedom, we're against it. Excellent. Excellent quote. Slow clap. Um, and the attacks like this just keep coming into the late 80s. But ACDC, despite having the entire conservative Christian culture attacking them, right. kind of just says, fuck the haters, and ignored them, and continued to release a string of three gold records. Good for them. So, good for them. And they went on a tour, which attendance was not hurt at all. Yeah. But, despite the outward fuck it attitude... I'll, this really started to eat at Malcolm. Like he did not want to be associated with this devil worshiping. Right. Lady. Why would you? Yeah. Like you don't want go into we a We make band. jokes about it all the time, but I'm not a devil worshiper, you know? No, like yeah, especially when the media is coming at you every single day, you're on a national list that basically says you're a shitty artist because you have sexual references in your songs. Like yeah. it starts to starts to eat at you. And so he starts to drink a lot oh no he says that it it pretty much he felt like dr jekyll and mr hyde he would keep it together just long enough to perform on stage but the second he would come off he would fall apart and he eventually you gotta i admire this man's strength because he eventually went to angus and said dude i have got to take a break or i'm gonna end up dead yeah and so yeah yeah we don't normally see that either like yeah I think he might be our first like self-aware artist. Yeah. He, only, I mean, it's good for him that he recognized like I'm on a bad path. Yes. So they actually recruit their nephew Stevie to fill in Aww. while he went to rehab and he did eventually get sober with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Good for him. I'm Dawn and I'm Cole and Scottish Murders is a true crime podcast dedicated to people from or living in Scotland. Just like anywhere else in the world these murders can be truly horrific and shocking and we want to shine more light upon them. Join us every two weeks on Scottish Murders where we'll bring you cases both solved and unsolved giving you an insight into the other side of Bonnie Scotland. 
Find us wherever you stream your podcasts, as well as on social media. Join Join us there. there. Bye. In 1990, they released their 12th studio album. We're jumping ahead a bit. There's there's a lot to cover here. It's called Razor's Edge. And I really only put this in here because that include, that's where the album that Thunderstruck is from. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that Thunderstruck wasn't around until 1990. Hmm. Feels very wrong. Feels very out of place. Weird. Um, but the album did go multi-platinum and top 10 in the US. If things were not bad enough... In the history of this band, like they could, they could literally have nothing else happen to them, and they would have had enough mishaps in their career. Yeah, but don't worry, they get, they get some more. I don't know why I keep saying don't worry. You should be worrying. <laughs> um, on January eighth, nineteen ninety one, they're playing a concert in Salt Lake City, and things go south very quickly. The venue is general admission, not assigned seating, mm-hmm. and they let everyone in at w- one time. And so when they open these doors, oh. 1,300 fans rush to get to their seats. And three fans are trampled to death in this process. Oh, jeez. Which, first off, I don't understand how people were stampeding that fast. They trampled three people. Yeah. And and it's not a huge venue. Like, 1,300 is not... It's not a stadium. No. But, yeah, so three fans get trampled to death. And originally, before they take the stage, the band is only told about one death. They're told one fan died, but, you know, things are tense out there we know that you're taking it hard like the band did not want to play they they were all like pretty much crying backstage because this is their worst nightmare yeah but management was like you need to go on and play or things are gonna get really bad they're gonna riot like i'm sorry but you need to go on um and then they told them about the other two when they got off and they were like if you if you just told us the truth in the beginning we wouldn't have done that because that makes us look really shitty. Yeah. And the media did ma- use it to make them look really shitty. Um, they, the media the next day starts putting out headlines such as band played on while kids died with a photograph of Brian Johnson smiling up on stage. Um, and it, it, the band takes it really hard. And to this day, Malcolm or to the day that the VH1 documentary was filmed, Malcolm will not talk about it. Like he just shuts down. If you Jeez. ask him about that Salt Lake City show. And to just rub it, the salt into the wound, um, the families of these teenagers who di- did die sued the band because they were like, it's a wrongful death claim. Um, but the courts ultimately agreed that it was not. The band was let free of all charges. It was just a freak accident. Like, yeah. The band the band had nothing to do with it. They were backstage at the time. Mm-hmm. Like It was really the, the theater's fault. Yeah, it sounds like they had a really shitty seating policy. <laughs> yeah. It's not anything to do with the band. But I just feel so bad for them. Because like I said, they are surrounded. They really are just like trying to just make music, make music they love. And it's just they keep getting hit with all these unfair claims. Yeah. And they're just trying to vibe. Yeah. Um, But they do get a little bit of a pick me up in September 1991. Because Russian President Boris Yeltsin invites them to headline a free concert for young Russians who had helped to block a communist coup. Well, that's nice. The show was supposed to be in Red Square, but so many people showed up, they had to move it to an airstrip outside of Moscow. Jeez. One million Russians showed up for this show. Holy hell. Which is, the footage is super cool because a former Soviet airbase. Yeah. And there's just people. That's crazy. As far as you can see. And they actually credit this show for giving them a lot of hope going into the 1990s the rest of the 1990s that's so nice and just like having a breath of fresh air after a lot of loss and being beaten up by the media and all of that that stuff and now for my favorite sidebar of this entire presentation in 1994 pacific gameworks created a proposal for a video game project for the atari jaguar titled acdc defenders of metal Yes. Which this game does not end up happening. And let me tell you, they're a bunch of idiots for not making this game. I cannot find any information about this video game except for on a message board from 2003. That's where you find it. 
it's in Wayback Machine. That's how like archived this is, but I found it. This person, I guess they worked for this company and somehow had located the promo docs. Yeah. And because it's from 2003, I couldn't download the docs because links were broken. But he had copy pasted some pieces of the promo docs. And I just need to read you this excerpt. You, got, you guys thought the Journey video game was good. Yeah. This is better. I need this in my life. ACDC for Jaguar will be a hard-rocking, sometimes humorous, but never frivolous battle for musical supremacy, in which the band, together or as individuals, will fight its way up through various levels of musical opposition in various venues. The entire adventure will be presented in the context of a holy crusade, (laughs) in which the band must meet and vanquish the best and worst of each genre. Yes. Disco, rap, pop, pseudo-rock, country, jazz, oldies, classical, and muzak in order to establish their undisputed supremacy. I love this. An example of a level might include remaneuvering their way through hordes of leisure-suited Travolta lookalikes, <laughs> battling their way through stage door security, getting past an army of roadies, and finally, facing the Bee Gees and Big Don of Summer. Oh Wait. my God. I love it. And fin- I want it. I can't even read this seriously anymore. I want it. And finally, facing the Bee Gees and Big Don of Summer in Mortal Kombat. No. Okay. I just hear like Jack Black yes. voicing the characters in this. Yes. Just Jack Black doing different voices. Finally, this is a project which, perhaps above all others, screams to be made for CD ROM. ACDC is, after all, music, a cool action action game backed with a rampaging, window-busting soundtrack, and stand for the ACDC logo has all the makings of a hit. Let's crank it up! I love it, and I'm very upset. Can some indie gamer go ahead and take care of this for us? Please. Like, that's a, a, a genius idea. I would play the shit out of that. Yes. I need that for Nintendo Switch. Please 100%. and thank you. 100%. Toby Fox from Undertale, get on it. Yes. That's your next project. But yeah, that's that's we this is at least the third video game I've covered. Yeah. Best of the three. Really sad that Atari did not get on that. That's a shame. That's actually a really shame. <laughs> Skipping forward to the 2010s because mm-hmm. we're going a little long here. We're reaching the end. Um, I just think this is hilarious. ACDC is the responsible entity for the Iron Man 2 soundtrack. <laughs> like, if you go to ACDC's discography, there's Iron Man 2 soundtrack. Yes. Oh, Which, yeah, that's fair. That's true. Because th- that's it. I think it's hilarious. The entire soundtrack belongs. There's score, obviously, that's separate. But yeah. that's it. It's just ACDC. Um, and then in 20, the 2010s, things get messy for them again. Like, they've been riding... They've been riding good for almost 20 years here. Yeah. Putting it behind them. Yeah. They, no one, no one has like been called a Satan worshiper. No one has died. Yeah. But then eh, things start to happen. So in 2014, uh, rumors start to circulate that Malcolm Young is sick and that the, the group is disbanding and they, they, they don't confirm these rumors they don't deny them either yeah so brian in an interview says we're definitely getting together in may in vancouver we're gonna pick up guitars we're gonna have a plonk and see if anybody has any great tunes or ideas and if anything happens we'll record it but then in september 2014 management confirms that malcolm has officially departed from the band Hmm. citing that he's been diagnosed with dementia and admitted to a nursing home where he can receive full-time care that's so sad. A uh, source close to them was quoted in this article saying that he had completely lost his short-term memory. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, so it actually... Um, they they Malcolm retires. They replace him with Stevie, who had filled in when Malcolm went to rehab. Yeah. They do record a new album. Um, unfortunately, Malcolm's last show with the band was, was years prior because they had been taking a break it was in june 2010 in spain and he did pass away in 2017 Mm. at the age of 64 after his battle with dementia that's so sad which is really sad um they'd so young too yeah super young they did replace him permanently with stevie nephew stevie gotcha um so all that's happening malcolm's out of picture stevie's in also in 2014 Remember Phil Rudd? We mentioned him. He's yeah. the drummer. He came in late. 
he releases his first solo album. It's called Head Job. And he's like, yeah, we're going to go on tour. I have no intention of retiring. We're going to make this work. But then in November, he's charged with attempting to murder, threatening to kill, possession of methamphetamines, possession of cannabis, all following a police raid on his home. What? So I guess he threatened to kill his former assistant. Why? He's in jail now. Well, yeah. <laughs> Why are you wasting your time at 60-something with that junk? He, I don't know when he did it, but um, he did plead guilty to all the drug charges and threatened to kill his assistant. And pretty much the next day, they took him off the website and replaced him with Chris Slade. Wow. I don't know where he came from, but to, to this day, he's, he's the drummer. Uh, in March 2016, they announced that the final 10 days of the rock or bust world tour would need to be rescheduled because Brian Johnson's doctors had ordered him to stop touring immediately because his hearing loss had accelerated so much that he risked complete deafness if he kept touring. Jeez. He later had to come out in an interview and say that his hearing loss was not from performing with the band for 36 years, but rather from his love of auto racing and <laughs> having to forget. To, he frequently forgot to put in earplugs yeah, that will do it. One specific race ruptured his left eardrum. No, those things are loud. Yeah, they're really fucking loud. I mean, loud. as you remember when yes. we went to the drag race, it is, it literally shakes the ground. Yes. By how loud it is. Where you're hearing protection. But it sucks when you can't do your job because of your hobby. Yeah. But um, he had to come out and make a statement that he was no longer able to tour, but he was like doing treatment and hoped to return one day. Yeah. He specifically thanked... Angus Young and Cliff Williams for their support and he kind of retired for a little bit um at the time his last show was in February 2016 in Kansas City and the band doesn't really want to quit with Mm -hmm. even though they don't have Brian anymore so they add Axl Rose as their new lead singer for the rest of their 2016 tour dates I don't know how I feel about that I again we'll we'll get to this eventually but Axl Rose is a shitty person so Whatever. I guess it was 2016. But, yeah, I don't like that. Um, So things aren't looking really great for the future of the band at this point. We got Malcolm is Dead. Weren't they going to release release some music? We're getting there. Oh, sorry. Malcolm's Dead. Down. Drummer is in jail. And Brian can't sing because he can't right. hear. And then things kind of go dark. They finish with the 2016 tour with, with uh, Axel. It's I'm assuming it was fine. Yeah. I don't really know. Um, and things go dark for four years. Like we don't hear much about the side, like the occasional. It's the 50th anniversary of this album. It's the right. 40th, like nothing. But on 28th of September, 2020, ACDC updates their social media with just an illuminating neon lightning bolt and the band's logo. Which fucking broke the internet that day. Yeah. Let me tell you. Uh, this I led, remember that. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like peak pandemic sadness when we yeah. were on... Uh, and then ACDC coming out with new music. Yeah. They were like, tomorrow, our new single. And we're like, what the fuck? This immediately started rumors of they're coming back. They're going to do a tour. I don't know why tour rumors are circulating yeah. in September 2020, but whatever. We needed something to look at forward to. And the next day... Everything was updated to a new online store teasing the name Power Up, which was very quickly learned to be the new album. On September 30th, they confirmed the return of Brian Johnson, Phil Rudd, guess he's out of jail, and Cliff Williams to the band alongside Angus and Stevie Young. On October 1st, 2020, they released their new single, Shot in the Dark, which is great. Mm-hmm. In November, they dropped their new studio album, Power Up. And just in the way that Back in Black was dedicated to Bon Scott, this album is dedicated to Malcolm Young. Yeah, that's sweet. Which I do. It is really sad, but I do love the parallel there. Yeah. Um. So that is the history of ACDC. That was good. T- to touch on their, their musical style and legacy. They've often referred to themselves as a rock and roll band. Nothing more. Nothing Nothing less. less, (laughs) Which I appreciate. Not punk. (laughs) Not punk. Do not call them that. They do get a lot of criticism for being simplistic, monotonous, lowbrow, and sexist. Yes, their music is simple. Yes, it all... It doesn't sound the same, but it does sound really similar. 
but I don't have a problem with that. If you have a sound and you stick to it, cool. Like mm-hmm. that just makes your music recognizable. Yeah. And synonymous with you. As far as the sexist comments, um, Angus in an, in an interview called the band pranksters more than nothing else. Like they're not, we're not out here trying to be overly macho. We take the music, like the actual music far more seriously than we take the lyrics. Yeah. Most of our lyrics are just throwaway lines. Like they don't mean anything. Like I said, they're not out here writing the deepest lyrics you've ever right. heard in your life. Um, we are not named three songs. We're not going to sit here and talk about sexism for the rest of the night because I don't have time. Yeah. But I, I did get a little conflicted with this because I have always loved ACDC. And so I found this excerpt from a book and what it's called Under My Thumb, Songs That Hate Women and the Women Who Love Them. And author Fiona Sturges writes an essay for this book about ACDC. And she acknowledges that she's a feminist and that the band's music is problematic for her. Um, and she believes that it would be daft as opposed to damaging for fa- female listeners if they can understand the band to be a bunch of archly sex-obsessed idiots with sharp tunes and some seriously killer riffs. Um, but she also points out that some of their songs, such as Whole Lotta Rosie and You Shook Me All Night Long, have female characters in them that are having a good time and are in the driving seat of the sexual encounter. Yeah. So like, yes, they're sexist, but they, they kind of try to balance it out a little bit. Yeah. It's, you know, (sighs) sexism has always been in the industry, but there's always been waning spectrums of it. Yeah. They're not the uh, worst offenders. I'll give them exactly. And that's what, you know, it's still not right. We still can acknowledge it's not right. And this is not me trying to paint a rosy picture over it. But like you said, they're not the worst offenders of it. And hopefully they'll just come to a re- realization that, hey, that was wrong. Because there's a lot of other other artists that truly do hate women. Yeah. And you hear it come through where these lyrics are more just like a boy. Yeah, they're not. And it's not like it's still not right. But that's part of the culture of that time of the boys club. And it's just the beautiful thing is learning to evolve past that yeah. and looking back. Of the bands that we've discussed, they are not they're not the worst offenders. Yeah. And I don't think they I truly don't think they meant any harm by it. Not to like give them an excuse, but I don't think they meant it the way that people in twenty twenty one sure want to interpret it. Um they obviously are one of the most influential bands on like our generation's mm-hmm. creations. Um in two thousand and three they were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They were, I guess at this point, um, Brian, I don't know why I forgot his name, wasn't able able to perform. So guest vocals were provided by Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. Oh, that's nice. Which, love him. Yeah. Unlike Axl Rose. Glad they didn't get Axl. Yeah. And then here's just two random facts that I just really needed to include in here. In 2000, there is a municipality in near Madrid named Legans. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. They named a street uh, Ca de ACDC, which is ACDC Street. And Malcolm and Angus went, attended the inauguration. But later that very same day, the plaque got stolen. And they reckon that it was a collector or some really enthusiastic yeah. fan. And I guess they had a backup plaque because they replaced it two hours later. Well, that's nice. And then three days later, it was stolen. Oof. And they put a new one up and it was stolen. So <laughs> the moral of the story is stop putting up plaques. No, the moral of the story is the government started selling replicas of the street plaque ah. next to the original street plaque. <laughs> so they I love smart. that. Ingenuity. Um and then the final fact I will give you is in 2009, the Recording Industry Association of America upgraded the group's U.S. sales figure from 69 million nice. Nice, to 71 million, making ACDC the fifth best selling band in U.S. history, selling more albums than Madonna and Mariah Carey. Wow. The RIAA also certified Back in Black as Double Diamond. Wow. Which is 20 million in U.S. sales. That's units, not mm-hmm. dollars. And by 2007, the album had sold 22 million copies, which makes it single-handedly the fifth best-selling album of all time in the U.S. And that is the chaotic history of ACDC. Akadeka. Akadeka. 
I really appreciate how much spookiness was in that episode. It's a lot of weird shit. It's a lot of weird shit. Oh, I never explained the Akadeka thing. Oh, yeah, what's the Akadeka thing? Uh, I guess in Australia and Britain specifically, that was just what they called them. They didn't say it ACDC like we did. It got like colloquial. Akadeka? Colloquialized. I don't think it's a word. To be Akadeka. And it was just like a thing. I think it was funny. Mostly Australian audiences. Yeah. Which it sounds Australian. Um, But yeah. But now I always want to call them Akadeka because of Luke. How about that? What are you drinking? I'm drinking a Oktoberfest by Founders. It's not great. I don't like it. I have nothing nice to say about it. I like the can it. Can is pretty. I liked it. I liked it more than uh mine. I'm I, also I threw mine away after three sips. Yeah, I don't. I didn't love it. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at SheWillRockYou.com. There you'll find our social information, our show notes, where you can contact us, and our merch. Please buy merch. We merch. made it cute just for you. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.